Welcome to Profit Boss Radio, where successful women have paved the road to their own financial freedom. Each week, your host, Hillary Hendershot, financial coach, money mindset expert, and experienced wealth manager, will help you discover the keys to the wealth and peace of mind you want and deserve in her no-nonsense and authentic style. Starting right now. Welcome to episode 57 of Profit Boss Radio. I'm your host, Hillary Hendershot. Today's episode is called Getting to the Corner Office. Today I'm interviewing Joan Lublin, who's the management news editor for the Wall Street Journal and the author of the new book, Earning It, Hard-Won Lessons from Trailblazing Women at the Top of the Business World. Joanne is a trailblazing woman herself. She created the Wall Street Journal's first career advice column in 1993. She shared its Pulitzer Prize in 2003 for stories about corporate scandals. She has a bachelor's degree in journalism with honors from Northwestern University and a master's degree in communications from Stanford University. I thought that instead of a long, drawn-out introduction today, I would just read you a portion of one of the book's many, many five-star reviews on Amazon. So, quote, Ms. Lublin's book is enlightening, infuriating, and inspiring. Her anecdotes of women's difficulties in getting into the corner office, as she repeatedly calls it, demonstrate how stupid male executives and board members can be. However, some of these anecdotes demonstrate that there are some very wise and good men, too, who have mentored women and helped them to achieve great success in business and otherwise. What I really like about the book is that Ms. Lublin does not adopt a one-size-fits-all approach to how women have gotten ahead in business. Different women have different and sometimes inconsistent approaches. I also like the fact that she weaves her own story into the book, not in an obtrusive or self-involved way, but enough to let us know that the stories she conveys are not just what she's heard, they're what she's lived. End quote. Two things I sincerely hope you pick up a copy of the book. We will link to it on Amazon at hillaryhendershot.com forward slash 57. The second thing is that the audio quality on today's interview is not quite what I'd like it to be. We had some trouble recording, so I do apologize for that. But I still think you're really going to enjoy today's show. Joanne Lublin, welcome to Profit Boss Radio. Thanks so much for having me, Lauren. Joanne, given your career, you could have probably written about any number of topics. I mean, why did you decide to write this book? Two reasons. I wanted to give back to the women of the next generation. My daughter is a millennial. I had done a first-person piece for a Wall Street Journal blog back in 2008. It doesn't exist anymore. It was a blog called Journal Women, and the piece was called Remember the Barriers, and it was a way of trying to educate my daughter, who was then entering the workforce as a 20-something, about what it had been like to become a journalist in my early career, decades before, so that she would go into the workforce with her eyes open, be aware of the fact that things had changed, but things were not all hunky-dory, so to speak. The other reason to do the book is I've been writing about workplace and management issues for a long time for the journal. I also initiated our coverage of career issues and our very first career column. So over the years, I've come to write about a lot of the women that I ended up interviewing for the book. I'd say probably about a third of them were women I had come to know either doing career columns or management coverage. And let me just go back to the bit about your daughter. Did she follow you into the career of journalism? 
No. Oh. <laughs> Do our children ever follow our footsteps? <laughs> One actually would hope that they wouldn't. How else are they going to... Well, uh, you said that you wrote so that she would know what it was like for you to get into that career. <laughs> Is there anything you want to well, share about to that? The, sure. Yeah, I came into the journalism profession by going to work for the Wall Street Journal when I finished graduate school. So uh, the Wall Street Journal is the only company I've ever worked for, which of course makes me wholly unprepared to give career advice. But I've obviously learned a lot from the years I've been a journalist. And to me, it was a, a bit of a rude shock because when I worked on my college newspaper, everyone, you know, slaved away. <laughs> there was no distinction, men or women alike. And suddenly I was not only being treated special in some respects as a woman, you know, the guys would all rush to you know, walk on the outside of me on the, you know, walking down the street or stand up when I entered the room. This, both of these things happened when I was a summer intern at the Wall Street Journal. Or really? the, the opposite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or the opposite happened. You know, I got what I felt treated, you know, less than fairly because I was a woman. There were a number of times early in my Wall Street Journal career in the 70s when I would have to cover events at private clubs that did not admit women, and I had to go in by a back door, which was generally where the kitchen staff entered. That was not un unusual. And this all struck me as very strange. A year after I joined the Wall Street Journal, I got honorable mention in the San Francisco Press Club annual press competition. And I was invited to come to the awards dinner, you know, where I'd be recognized. And the guys in my office, and I was the only woman in that bureau in San Francisco, the first woman hired as a reporter in that San Francisco bureau of the journal. So my male colleague said I should boycott the dinner because that club also did not admit women journalists. All right. And I said, no, to the contrary, I want to go there and show them that women can be successful journalists and actually, you know, get honorable mention in their annual press contest. How else to prove that we deserve to be admitted? And a few years later, they did open up the club to women. But these were things that just struck me as, as rather bizarre and were some of the things that I had written about. So speaking about the book, talk about your choice of title, earning it. Does that mean earning a promotion or is it more about earning more money? Well, it wasn't my choice of the title. Uh. <laughs> the, the book title went through three incarnations. Do you want to hear about I those? I do, just, definitely. Like, all right. So when I initially pitched this book proposal to HarperCollins, I wanted to call the book Barrier Breakers because I wanted to focus on women who had broken barriers and become the first woman X or, or Y. She felt that it was a great book proposal idea, but the, the title was too negative. I had to come up with something more positive. So I then sold the publisher on my title, which was the one I reported it on, wrote it on, submitted the manuscript under, and had the book accepted, which was Sweet Success, S-U-I-T-E. Ah. Because of the 52 women I interviewed, nearly two-thirds ended up being women who were experienced public company chief executives. And clearly, these were women who had achieved tremendous success. The problem was that then when the publisher went to sell the book to her sales team, many of whom were my daughter's age, were millennials, they work for companies where there aren't really separate executive suites anymore. And in fact, at one point, my daughter said to me, you know, I know what your book's about, but when I see the title Suite Success, I think it's a book about hotels. <laughs> So the publisher's sales team came back with earning it, and my first reaction was, nobody's going to know what the it is, apropos of your question. Couldn't we at least save part of my original title and call it earning success? And she said, no. Number one, they love earning it. And number two, it covers pretty much everything that the book covers. And it covers, you know, earning what you're 
should be making, earning pay, earning promotion, earning credibility, earning recognition, you know, earning advancement. So frankly, you know, I, it has now grown on me and I think it's a wonderful title. It just happens to not be the one I cooked up. Well, it sure caught my eye. <laughs> and that's, of course, not the whole title. The whole title is Earning It, Hard One Lessons from Trailblazing Women at the Top of the Business World. And that yes. really kind of tells you the whole nine yards. Yes. And so the book, I can hear it when you speak that your focus is on career advancement, but not just career advancement is about the credibility that you earn as that happens. And this Absolutely. show, yes, and this show, and the power that you should be gaining as you get into more important positions. How do you earn power? How do you earn credibility? How do you earn acceptance from dubious colleagues, male and female alike? So what are the themes? How do you earn power and acceptance and advance yourself professionally? Well, there's lots of ways, obviously. The, the book is divided into various topics, thematic chapters, and each of those chapters delves into various aspects of that topic, whether it's getting started, whether it's getting ahead in mid-career, whether it's getting ahead later in your career. And at the end of each chapter are six or eight leadership lessons, bullet points. And what I say sort of half tongue-in-cheek at, at many of the speaking engagements I've been giving lately is if you're way too busy to read this book or don't drive to work and can't listen to it on an audiobook, then just at least do yourself the favor of reading the leadership lessons at, at the end of each chapter because they're succinct and they're to the point. But, you know, in general, I think these women succeeded because they shared two very common traits. They exhibited resilience in the face of setbacks, and they exhibited perseverance. They were very single-minded when they were trying to achieve a particular goal, professional, or in some cases, personal, about making sure that it would happen. And just like they were resilient in the face of setbacks, they were willing to persevere against, in some cases, incredible odds. Mm -hmm. I've interviewed on this show, Linda Kaplan Thaler, the author of Grit to Great, and she talks a lot about resilience. And so if we talk about career... And advance, I interviewed her for a career column I wrote about the question, can you be too gritty for your own good? Ooh. My, your executive career column. You should go read it. Sharp elbows. I did, interview, I did interview her for that column. <laughs> She's great. She's a great interviewer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we talk about career advancement kind of going hand in hand with financial advancement. Absolutely. Did, did the women you interviewed for the book share with you how their hard-won roles had helped them financially? Well, obviously, it helped them financially to the extent that they got to be CEOs. But you know what? Even when some of them got to be CEOs, they weren't always necessarily being paid fairly. There was a great example in the pain of the pay pinch uh, involving Brenda Barnes. She became chief executive of Sarah Lee until, unfortunately, she suffered a stroke at age 56 and had to step down. But at one point, she was not happy with her pay package as chief executive. Mm -hmm. And the, her fellow directors wanted to cut her pay. It was a mere $1 million, her salary at that time, because she was in the process of shrinking the company. And so they felt, well, if it's a smaller company, you should get smaller pay. And she said she told the, direct, the other directors, this is not a fair way of looking at how you're paying me. And she pointed out that making the company smaller was actually a Herculean task for her and her management team. And so at that point, the board got involved and she said they realized I was raising reasonable points and then her salary rose, as did the value of her shares, because the investors liked the fact that she was selling some of the assets. 
during her five years as CEO, they ended up shedding more than 40% of the business. And she says, and I quoted her in the book as saying, we all made money, the shareholders and management. And she said, quote, I ended up a very wealthy woman. Good for her. <laughs> so, But she did it from a position of strength, okay? Yes. She was able to point out, you know, other examples of where companies had not shrunk the pay package of a CEO who had to deal with a very difficult strategy that was not easy to execute. And so that is one of the little leadership bullet points at the end of that chapter, you know, which is that you need to be negotiating from a position of knowing what you're talking about. And particularly, you know, you need to find out what people at the same job level as as you are making, not just inside the company, but outside the company. And even if it's not an identical role. And the last bullet in those little bullets at the end of that chapter, I think is also a very important one for women to pay attention to. And it says, be willing to jump ship to achieve pay equity. And I quote Paula Rospit Reynolds, who's been chief executive twice, and this is what she says, women are so damn loyal. Men threaten to leave and get raises to stay. The women just stay. (laughs) Yes. It seems men have done a much better job of righteously defending their own rights to earn high compensation. That is true. (laughs) But I think women are starting to learn how to do it in an effective way in which they're not somehow, you know, thought of less as lesser human beings because they're negotiating hard on their behalf because they're doing it from a position of strength. Okay. Yes, agree. So these fifty brand name CEOs were they all earning? Well, they're not all. They're not all CEOs. About two, nearly two thirds were CEOs. Okay. High level women. Were they all earning compensation packages like the one you mentioned, a million dollars and more? Well, the ones who became CEOs were earning packages, you know, much bigger than that. Obviously. Yeah. Um, I cite just some of the pay packages of some of the women that I interviewed for what they had made in 2014. Irene Rosenfeld at, at Mondelez had total compensation valued at, at $21 million. In 2014, Hewlett-Packard had not yet broken up. Uh, Meg Whitman made $19.6 million. Ginny Rometty, another CEO I interviewed for the book at IBM, her 2014 pay package was $17.9 million. And General Motors' Mary Barra, another CEO interviewed for the book, had a pay package worth $16.2 million in 2014. Hey, those are inspiring numbers, right? Well, I mean, these women like male CEOs work very, very hard. I mean, to be a CEO, it's not for the faint of heart, as Brenda Barnes discovered, you know, when she had to give up this job at age 56 because of a stroke. Another woman I interviewed for the book had a stroke while she was in her early 40s. The first time when she was about to take the company public where she was CEO, she stepped back and, and recovered, came back, you know, sometime later, and then suffered a second stroke in her 40s. Oh, my goodness. These are not easy jobs. Did any of the women you interviewed share that they had maybe got promoted, but that it didn't make a difference in their bank accounts, that the role and the responsibility came, but the money didn't follow? Well, I think the best example of that, and I tell her story a lot, is is the Kathy Black story, where she did get offered a raise to step into a higher level job when she was all 24 years old. 
and in her first job after college. And again, this goes back several decades, obviously. But the raise she was being offered was not going to bring her even close to how much her prior boss, whose job she was applying for, had made. But see, in her case, she had done her homework. Okay. And so while her publisher of the magazine where she worked was offering her a $3,000 raise to about $8,000, she knew that the woman whose job she was trying to step into had made about $13,000 because she had done her homework, just to my point. And so she said to the publisher of this magazine, I have an inkling as to how much the prior manager made, and I expected that that's what I would be offered. And he was absolutely shocked. His face turned Beat red and could not, you know, believe that she had dared to to make such demand. So he then sweetened the pot another fifteen hundred dollars, which brought her up to, you know, ninety five hundred. So not as much as she thought she deserved, and certainly not as much as the woman in the role before her had made, who was the manager of classified advertising. But nonetheless, otherwise she was going to get even a lot less than the woman in that job before her had had. Thanks for being willing to get into the stories. I think it's so great to hear real life stories and I really appreciate all of that. So can we discuss the importance of mentorship in terms of advancing women? I think if I read correctly, a lot of the people you interviewed were mentors or had mentors that helped them. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's very important for men and women who want to advance in their careers to have mentors, but I think it's more important to have sponsors. And a mentor is someone who's willing to kind of tell you, you know, when <laughs> your slip is showing and be an informal guide or an advisor. But a sponsor is somebody who's willing to put their personal, professional reputation on the line. They stick their necks out and they make sure that other people know that the protege is qualified, that the protege ought to be considered for a promotion or put on a, a really important assignment or a cross-functional team. And frankly, And at the end of the day, given that men still are dominating senior management in most of our major companies today, uh, women still need to get many, many male sponsors. And obviously, they need female sponsors too, but it's the male sponsors who are going to be more numerous and, frankly, probably more powerful at most workplaces. And so in your experience, most of these women who get sponsored turn around and pay it forward or pay it back. Which a lot of the women I interviewed have done so, and to me was really inspiring. And of course, I have, speaking from a rather select sample here, these of course were the women who chose to cooperate with me and sit down for an on-the-record conversation and then be emailed constantly for months afterwards with follow-up questions. (laughs) And so, you know, can I generalize and say that all senior-level women are committed to giving back and sponsoring lower-level women? I have no way of knowing. I'm certainly... The women I meet in reporting about management issues for the journal, when they get into senior level jobs, seem to feel that way. Right. Sandy Peterson, who's the highest ranking woman at Johnson & Johnson, and one of the women I interviewed for the job who is not a CEO, took this as her own personal responsibility. And she's been passionately committed to paying it forward since she got to the company only a few years ago. So in June of 2015, women at J&J represented about 31% of their vice presidents worldwide. And when I interviewed Sandy in 2015 for the book, she said, we are going to make sure we have 50% women in leadership roles by the time we are all done. 
meeting when she left office. And I actually saw Sandy again this morning <laughs> at a breakfast where I was speaking. You know, I called out you know, the fact she was there in the room and that she was one of the not only admirable women that I had interviewed, but one of the ones who was trying to give back. And frankly, you know, she makes this an important priority for her, for women who are at her level in the company, and then the people on her team, men and women alike, to say, you need to sponsor those who are your lieutenants as well. And she takes this strong position partly based on her own career history. She got hired back in 1987 as a management consultant for McKinsey. And some of her female peers thought of her as kind of weird because she had a young child and they did not. In fact, she concealed the fact she had a young child when she got hired because she was afraid they wouldn't give her the job knowing that she would have to be on the road so much. Mm-hmm. And so what she said was at that time, quote, women did not support each other. They pulled up the ladder. I think she said that, frankly, simply because she didn't get the support. But if you think about this, you know, they couldn't give her support if they hadn't had that experience of being mothers. So to a certain extent, it wasn't that women were trying to be unhelpful. It was they couldn't offer her any guidance about an experience they had nothing to tell her about. Good to know about women championing women. It's inspiring. I mean, I I sit in my little recording studio out here in in California, and I talk to people about their money all day. And so I'm kind of in a a little insulated box. But these are really inspiring stories. And I, I bet writing this book was very heartening for you. Was that your experience? It seems like a very yeah, positive it really experience. Was. Yeah, it really was a very heartening experience, particularly on the, you know, giving back or paying it forward issue. Right. And it wasn't just, you know, when it came to trying to be sponsors. It came in trying to remedy some of the pay inequities. There's some really great stories in the book about one woman who, when she became the chief human resource officer, becoming an advocate for making sure a recently promoted female executive was paid fairly compared to her male peers without this woman executive involved being aware at all that the head of HR was doing this for her. There's another great anecdote in which Paula Rusbett Reynolds, the one I had mentioned before, who, who said that the women just stay put, she, after Ann Wall being a CEO, has gone on corporate boards and has played a similar role serving on compensation committees on boards to be an outspoken advocate of making sure that, that women get paid fairly. So speaking of financial advancement, isn't it pretty tough to make a good living as a journalist or maybe not once you're out of place like the Wall Street Journal? Well, since I've never done any studies as to how well we're paid compared to other publications, I can't really say uh, that, that we are better paid or lesser paid than other publications. I certainly have no, you know, problems with how I've been compensated at the Wall Street Journal. Has working at the Wall Street Journal made you a more confident investor? Ha. No, (laughs) mainly because I don't write about investment issues. And that's probably why. Right, right. Well, listen, Joanne, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate, again, all the wonderful and inspiring anecdotes. If you're listening to get a copy of Joanne's book, pick it up on Amazon. You can find a link to that on the show notes at hillaryhendershot.com forward slash 60. And uh, we'll also link to the Audible version. Yes? Absolutely. Okay. Thank you very much. We'll link to all of them. Thank you, Joanne. Take care. Thanks. Bye-bye. Profit Boss, do you hate getting unsolicited advice? 
I kind of do. Whether it's well-intentioned or not, any kind of splaining just feels, I don't know, sort of aggressive and unwelcome. Of course, when I see someone who's important to me and they're struggling, sometimes it's tough to bite my tongue and just be there for them. So it's kind of a conundrum, right? We aren't here to run our friends' lives, no matter how well-qualified we are to do it. On the other hand, if you discover something that's really made a difference to you, don't you just want to share it with everyone? I mean, it would be really presumptuous of me to just assume that my little podcast is something every listener just can't wait to share. But I do know what I hear from my listeners about how Profit Boss Radio has helped them to start changing old money habits and feel more in control and hopeful about getting out in front of their financial security. And I have to think that for every person I've reached, there are thousands more who might feel the same way if they get the chance. So if you're one of my listeners or in our Facebook group, and you know at least one or two people in your social network could use an encouraging word, let me invite you to let them know about the podcast and about our Facebook group. Just hit the share button in your podcast app. It'll give you a good feeling, I promise. And you'll be helping me accomplish my big audacious goal of empowering a million women to take charge of their financial futures and become millionaires. Lastly, let me just say I'm truly honored to have earned a place in your busy schedule. I know you've got a lot of demands on your time and attention, and I'm so totally grateful for the little part of it that you share with me. So thank you. And let's get together next week for another episode of PBR. Thank you for listening to Profit Boss Radio, where creating success on our own terms happens every day. You're not alone in your journey to a rich life, and that's why Hillary is here to add value in each and every episode. See you next time on the podcast for women and money.